Today's scripture reading is from Colossians 2, verses 6 through 7. Therefore, as you receive Christ Jesus the Lord, so walk in him, rooted and built up in him, and established in the faith, just as you are taught, abounding in thanksgiving. This is the word of God for us today. Thank you, Paula. Let me join in others in welcoming you today to fellowship. My name is Lloyd, for those of you who may not know, may be visiting. Uh, I'm a teaching pastor along with Rob Sweet, who's our lead pastor. And uh, we have a Franklin congregation and a Brentwood congregation. So there's three services going on at Brentwood this morning where Rob is teaching. And then our two services, of course, that we do here, one church in these two locations. If you have your Bibles, I want to invite you to open them to Colossians 2, what uh, Paula just read. Colossians chapter 2, we're going to be in verses 6 and 7. You know, we're in a study through the book of Colossians. It's taken us, uh, you know, it's 13 weeks to get through chapter 1, 12 actually get through chapter 1, and uh, we've got a ways to go. So we'll be in Colossians all the way right up to Palm Sunday. Uh, there's so much to cover this morning, and you may think, well, gosh, there's only two verses. How much could there be? Well, there's a lot in these two verses, and, and there's a bit of work we need to do to unpack them and their implications. I'm gonna move rather quickly, if I can, uh, to set our context. Uh, the context, of course, being the book itself and then what Rob covered last week, Colossians chapter 2, verses 1 to five. In chapter one, if I could go all the way back there, I could summarize it a number of ways, but one of the ways we can look at chapter one is, let's just say, Paul's well done, Colossians. You know, their, their faith, uh, the, the, the picture and, and, and the doctrine of Christ that he presents to them and their steadfastness and their love. Well done, Colossians. And in chapter two, he makes a switch and it goes from well done to watch out. Like, watch out. And the urgency in his voice, we pick up when we read those verses that Rob captured last week. Watch out for what? Well, I want you to, to go with me here for just a moment. Colossians chapter two, verse one, Paul writes, follow along in your Bibles. For I want you to know how great a struggle I have for you and for those at Laodicea and for all who have not seen me face to face Rob mentioned last week, the, the word there is uh, agon, from which we get agony. I'm in agony, and the most common picture of that would have been an athletic metaphor. I'm wrestling. I am, I am struggling for you and those in Laodicea and those who have not seen my face. The intensity of his agony is tied to what's at stake. There's something at stake that Paul is deeply concerned uh, they're going to miss. And again, Rob walked us through this last week. Look at verses two and three, that their hearts may be encouraged. What, what, what does Paul want for them? Their hearts to be encouraged, being knit together in love, to reach all the riches of the full assurance of understanding and the knowledge of God's mystery, which is Christ, in whom are hidden all the treasures of wisdom and Knowledge. He wanted them to experience all that Jesus is. Not, not just an intellectual knowing, but a genuine uh, 
uh, relational uh, experience of the fullness of Jesus. You remember Rob had the, uh, uh, the, the equation, the value equation, the, the, the denominator, and what's the one on top called? The numerator. Um, you know, that he, he talked about all the value that Christ is. You remember that on top of the, the line? Well, well, Paul's concerned they're gonna, they're gonna not experience that value. And we get that in verse four. Notice he says, I say this. I'm telling you, I'm agonizing over this for you. Here's why I say this, in order that no one may delude you with plausible arguments. Rob mentioned delude means to be fooled. It's a little expanded this way, cleverly deceived with what seems reasonable and right. You all, we're not deluded by the obvious wrong choice, the obvious error. It's not, that is so wrong. No, it's, we're deluded when it's like, that is so, that's reasonable. I, I actually could see, well, yeah, now that you say, plausible, believable arguments. And if we think, we think that, unlike them, if we say, well, I'm, we're, we're beyond being deluded in that way, well, then you're deluded, right? We're already deluded if we think we cannot be moved off of what Paul says he wants for us in Christ. December 29th at Brentwood and Franklin, we, we had uh, services where we had a, a body life service, we call it, where, you know, you get to share. We talk about some things that God is doing in our lives. And, uh, you know, you had kids in here in the room. Uh, I, I want to tell you at Brentwood, uh, the, the, you know, we're doing the same thing at Brentwood. Carrie Murphy is our fellowship kids director there. And she had uh, a group of kids up on stage with her. And these are young kids. And she um, asked them a question. And, and this question, I'm gonna tell you the question. It's, it's a tough question. You think about asking some little kids this. You know, what would be something you would ask from God, but you're afraid to ask for because it seems impossible or really hard? You know, and she's asking this question like that to these kids. And I'm thinking, Kara, if you ask me that, that'd be really for me to answer. Well, she is, uh, this is <clears throat> this a perfect setting for her. She can just roll with the punches with these kids. Um, we, we don't video the third service at Brentwood. We just do the first one live and the second one's one you'll see online up there. But in the third service, these kids just knocked it out of the park. And, and I was like, God, we don't have any video of that. And, and they said, no, we don't. But there was a parent who was in the room and so she got some iPhone video of this interaction with the kids. And I want you to take a look at it with me. Come up here on the screens. From God for something, but you're afraid because it seems impossible or it seems really hard. Is there something like that in your life? I asked ask for a new God. A new God? Wow. That's better. I've never, ever heard that before. Piper, what would you like to ask for? The options are endless. I am, uh, I am a new <laughs> Guys, I'm really failing at this Bible lesson this morning. <laughs> uh, you would like, are you also going to say a new God? <laughs> okay. Guys, I invite everyone to come to the Learning Center on Sundays. We do a great job of teaching our kiddos. Oh my gosh. You know, um, 
a new God, a better Jesus. Wow, okay. You know, what is so funny coming from the lips of children is tragic coming from the lips of the hearts of adults. And I share that because quite frankly, there are those at Colossae who are offering to these young Christians a new God and a better Jesus. And what I mean by that is the message of these false teachers that Paul's saying, don't get deluded by this, is there are those who are coming along to say, uh, you know, Jesus, Jesus is, it's, yes, Jesus and. In other words, their message, Jesus, you need a better Jesus and God. Jesus isn't enough. That's not funny at all. And it's got Paul in agony. I want to be as frank and clear as I can be. Paul's concern here is not in this place, because there are other places where he is concerned about this. But it's not that that, that the Colossians are going to reject their faith. That's not the issue here. Like, you're going to, I don't even believe in Jesus anymore. What I said, I, I don't believe it anymore. You know, last year we had two quite prominent Christian voices, uh, one, one an author and one a, a singer, who they rejected the faith. And if you follow these things, it was pretty big news. Uh, that's, not, that's not his concern here. And, and I wanna suggest um, that doesn't happen that often. Honestly, it doesn't, it does, it doesn't happen that often. There's something far more likely to happen and far more damaging. And that would be for those who have faith in Christ to add something to faith in Christ and still believe they're believing the gospel. That is so toxic and tremendously harmful. It's normal to experience dry times in your walk with God. It's so normal to want more. In fact, can I say this to you? If, if, you know, if, if, if there's no measure in your heart, and I know we go through dry times, but if there's no even tiny inkling of wanting more of Jesus and, and, and more, so to speak, of your experience with God, that's a sign of spiritual unhealth. So, so there's a part of more that is so spirit-given and healthy, as we'll see in the passage for a Christian. The great challenge is this. Where do you go for your more? That's the issue that they're facing, and it's the issue you and I face daily. I'm gonna take these two verses, six and seven, do something a little bit different. I'm gonna take verse six and just take it apart in terms of, understanding, and then I'm gonna put it back together in a paraphrase. And then, uh, and then we're gonna take verse seven and show how verse seven supports verse six. It's Paul saying, now let me, let me get very specific on what this looks like. And uh, it's gonna be hard to take notes, and I don't think you, you know, you don't have to take notes. Let's just follow the passage, and it'll unfold before us. With that, let's start with verse six. Paul writes, therefore... As you received Christ Jesus the Lord, so walk in him. Whenever you see in our Bibles, you see the word therefore. You always say, what's it there for? And it is there for in light of all that he has already written. And so just the first word tells us, Paul's looking back on chapter one and saying, you know, and we spent, again, 12 weeks in it. There's a lot he said about Jesus. So he's saying, you know, in light of everything, look, all that I have just written you about 
Jesus, and then he goes on to give a command. So I'm gonna take that word therefore and paraphrase it, and the slide's gonna come up for you. You don't write this down, it's on, it'll be online. In, in light of all that I have written about the person and work of Jesus, that's the therefore, Therefore, in light of all that I have written about the person and work of Jesus, then he gives a command, okay? And look at verse six. It's therefore, in light of all I've written you about the person and work of Jesus, the command is this, so walk in him. That's the command. The, the words, as you receive Christ Jesus the Lord, that qualifies the command. Everybody with me on this? So, the commands so walk in him, but we've got to pick up this qualifier. How, do, how, how are you saying walk him as you receive Christ Jesus the Lord? And so let's take that phrase itself. And I'm going to ask you this question, and this is not a trick question. This is, you're going to know the answer as soon as I ask the question. You may doubt yourself, but don't. What is it or how is it that anyone comes into a relationship with Jesus Christ. It's by what that we come into a relationship with Jesus Christ. What do we exercise? What do we do? Faith, faith. yes, it's by faith. And so Paul is simply saying here, again, so fundamental, but it was by faith, you see. You, you believed what was written, what was said, of the Lord Jesus Christ, it was by faith. So it's gonna, he's gonna get to, so it's the same thing. So it's still by faith you walk in him. It, it's never more, honestly, I don't know, we'll, we'll never get beyond that simplicity, but that profundity, it's always by faith. Now, that phrase in the middle, he notes, you received Christ Jesus, the Lord. That is the only time in our whole Bible, you all, that those words are, are written in that order. There's nowhere else in the Bible that we see Christ Jesus, the Lord. Now you might go, yeah, I see it everywhere. Well, you don't see it in that order, in that way. It's, only, it's the only time. Each of those phrases so critical, the First one, Christ has the definite article, meaning in the Greek it says, the Christ, Jesus, the Lord. So when, when, when the Jewish audience heard the Christ, they immediately are flooded with every Old Testament promise. Oh, he's, he's the one that's gonna crush the serpent's head. He's the one that's gonna be like Moses. He's gonna be the one who rescues Israel. He's the anointed one. He's the Messiah, all that wrapped up, it's the Christ. Jesus, that's his given name. He was born of Mary. He's human. He's a human being, the anointed Messiah, the human being, Jesus. And then he says, excuse me, the Lord, Kyrios. It's the most common translation, it's the most common name given to God in the whole Bible. Kyrios. In the Greek. So we would take that phrase, as you receive Christ Jesus with the Lord, connected to therefore, and I might suggest this paraphrase. This is the second slide. In light of all that I have written about the person and work of Jesus, 
In the same way you received the anointed one, Jesus, fully God, fully man, by faith, now the command, so walk in him. All right, walk is simply the way the ancients viewed living life, and it's how we view it too. We talk about walk. It's, it's, it's not you know, the literal physical walk. It's that picture of as you live your life, walk in him, in him. John Stott does a wonderful job unpacking this, and for sake of time, I'm simply gonna read a quote from him. And this is so important, and I'm gonna unpack it a little bit to give some clarity, I hope. But Stott writes this about in him. The word Christian occurs only three times in the Bible. Only three times are we, Christ followers, ever called Christian. The commonest description in scripture of a follower of Jesus is that he or she is in Christ. The expressions in Christ, in the Lord, and in him occur 164 times in the letters of Paul alone. To be in Christ does not mean to be inside Christ. It's, you know, and this is, I think it's important to get the picture that, that he's trying to communicate, right? It's not like there's Jesus and we're in the person of Jesus. It's, and he goes on to say, it's not to be inside the person of Jesus as tools are in a toolbox or as clothes are in a closet. Rather, to be, it is to be organically united to Christ as a limb in the body or a branch in the tree, end quote. My arm is in my body. It is organically connected. If my arm was removed from the heart and my mind, you know, it, would be, it would be lifeless. It's to be organically connected to Jesus, Lisa had taken all the ornaments off our tree two weeks ago and my job was to get the lights off, which I did. But when I started to get the lights off, I couldn't see them because they're all green, you know, because they blend in. So I plugged it in so I could see the lights. As many of you, our tree has maybe 10 strings of lights that are connected, all connected to the wall. So turn the lights on, the lights are on. And, and I started taking the, 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 uh, the lights off the tree and I'd pull a string off, pull a string off and I'd hit that part where they connect and I would unplug it. And when I unplugged the lights, these lights went dead, no light. And these lights remained on because they were connected to, plugged in, to the wall. When a person puts their faith in the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus, you are plugged in to the life of Jesus. Does that make sense? And, and, and I want to clarify this because no analogy is perfect and the, the, the lights on the tree are not. When you are plugged in organically to the life of Jesus, men and women, if you truly believe and put your faith in Christ, you are never unplugged. So, so this is where the illustration breaks down. You, you don't live your life like I'm plugged into Jesus, but now I'm no longer in Jesus. No, you are placed in the body of Christ, the church, and in the body of Jesus. And you say, well then, 
why do my lights go out sometimes? And they do. Well, here's why. Because you and I live life at times not intentionally dependent, recognizing by faith, I'm united with Christ. And when we do that, it's not like we no longer are organically connected to him. It's that we short circuit that very life and power of Christ in our lives. So in a sense, you know, when we sin, we're not dependent upon Christ, lights go out, so to speak. Does that make sense? I wanna say that because I wanna be careful and not give anyone the impression that you can be in Christ, having put your faith truly in Christ, and then be unplugged from him. No, you, you are never, if you're in Christ, you're never unplugged from him, but you can short circuit that power and that experience of life in Christ by our disobedience. And I would boil it down to this, by not being dependent, when we're not dependent upon the spirit of Christ in us. So with that, let me offer a third slide that would build upon uh, this verse six. And here's the verse in, in whole, I would say, paraphrased. In light of all that I've written about the person and work of Jesus, in the same way you received the anointed one, Jesus, fully God and fully man by faith, continue by faith to live your life intentionally dependent upon him. That's, that's verse six. You wanna avoid being deluded, being honestly tricked or fooled into adding something to Christ and therefore having no gospel, then, then live this way. Again, I wanna say this. It's spiritually mature to want more of Jesus, to, want to grow in that relationship. You cannot exhaust all that Jesus is this side of heaven, nor will we. But it's where we go in terms of more of Jesus. There's nothing to add to Jesus, but there's always more of Jesus and who he is and all he is to know. One place to go, Jesus is revealed in God's word and there's only one way to go there, and that's to go there by faith. So let's go from an extended paraphrase to an absolutely, hopefully, irreducible minimum. Here's verse six in the shortest I could get it. All of Jesus, all the time, always by faith. Rob said, you know, last week he mentioned, he said, you know, Christ is the life, the Christian life is Christ. That's all Paul's saying here, and that's all I'm trying to say here. The Christian life is all of Jesus, all the time, always by faith. There's no new and better Jesus. Uh, there's nothing to add to Jesus. There is no supplement needed for Jesus. He is all and more. He is, on that equation, the infinite value, the person and work. Of Christ. Paul's a master teacher, of course. He doesn't leave us uh, just with the theory or just with the statement. He then says, let me, let me, let me describe to you in, in, in some pictures uh, what, that, what that looks like when it's all of Jesus all the time by faith. Notice verse seven. Rooted and built up in him and established in the faith just as you were taught abounding in Thanksgiving. There's four participles here. This is how we'll take this one apart. Pretty easy. Rooted, built up, established, and abounding. I'm just going to take each one, give a few comments around each one. Rooted. You know, when I say rooted, what comes to your mind? 
What picture in nature comes to your mind? Yeah, a tree, a plant. You know, the original audience, that's exactly what they saw. You know, it's not a hard one to get into their shoes. Yeah, a tree, you think about roots going down, you think about a plant. And you and I, you know, you don't even have to be a farmer to get this. Plants have roots. The roots are where the nourishment comes from by which the plant is stabilized, by which the fruit is given on the tree, by which the leaves sprout upon the tree. It's the roots. You can't see them, but if they're not there, then there's no plant above the ground. There's so many pictures we can give to all this, and I'm sure that all of them are included in Paul's description here and why he would use rooted, but it's this picture of being root, having your life send roots into the person of Jesus so that your nourishment for life is drawn from Jesus. That's the picture he gives. Then he switches metaphors. It's like, here's a nature metaphor. And then he gives a building metaphor. That's the second word, built up. Um, The one who's not gonna be, you know, blown about looking for life in anything more than faith in Jesus is not only the one that's rooted, but the one built up. It's It's a building metaphor, the idea being, There's a foundation, and upon the foundation, a building is slowly rising. You've seen this in third world countries, maybe, and and you could see it in Williamson County, you can see it in Nashville, wherever, but you've been to places maybe where you've seen a a, a building started, the, the footings have been, you know, put in, it's been, the foundation's been laid, and then week by week, month by month, you go by there and there's nothing happening. And, and you're looking at, well, what, what is, what's gonna go in there? I mean, they put the foundation in and this is the idea Paul is saying is that, that, that in order to not be diluted, there must be building upon the foundation. What's the idea he's given us here? I wanna suggest it's progress, that foundations are laid to be built upon. Our foundation of faith in Christ is to be built Upon, if there is no progression in our Christian life, in our relationship with Christ, that is a sign of unspirituality. It's a sign of unhealth, that the Christian life is a progressing, maturing, and growing. So rooted, drawing nourishment from, built up, because we are being changed into the image of Christ. We're to be being changed. And then he says, established in the faith. Key phrase here is the faith. It's not being established in your faith. Your faith needs to be stronger. It's being established in the faith. And the idea being, there is the gospel message. Jesus is the son of God. He lived the life we couldn't. He died the death we deserved. He was buried and he rose again. It's belief in Christ that saves you. That's the foundational gospel message. But Paul is describing here, is that and the whole story, the faith, i.e. all that God has revealed of himself. Be established in, uh, grow in your convictions of, uh, be securely grounded in the faith, the whole of the faith. 
And then finally, abounding with thanksgiving, abounding in thanksgiving. It's the idea being a, a river that overflows its banks and, and, and the, the river water that's within the banks flows out and goes everywhere. Such that gratitude would mark a growing Christian and the gratitude is of such capacity and in fact, in Christ, there is no limit to it. It goes out of us all the time. It's continually flooding our world. What? Gratitude, thanksgiving. Uh, we'll talk about this more as we go through Colossians, but I want you to notice this as you're reading it. It's, he's already done it and he's getting ready to do it even more, but every time he talks about the Christian life or he commands us to do something or he describes the faith, he'll say that and then he'll say with gratitude and then do this with thanksgiving and you're gonna be this with thanksgiving such that I would offer, I don't wanna be so dogmatic to say it's the only because there's certainly it's not the only, but it may be the most fundamental expression of a healthy growing faith, gratitude. It's hard, to, it's hard to argue when you read our whole New Testaments that gratitude is not that mark that's expressed for others to see. I'll say this, uh, abounding gratitude is in the active voice, meaning that's what we do. We, we express gratitude. It's not something that's done to us. We, we express this gratitude, and I wanna make a clarification because gratitude is so fundamental to the faith. How in the world do we give thanks, you all, when terrible things happen? There are things that have happened in your life that are, heinous, evil, from the pit, things that you would never wish upon anyone, hardship, tragedy, injustice. These things are life, they happen. How is it that a Christian can give thanks in these things? I wanna be very clear for us. We don't give thanks for evil and wrong and cancer that kills and horrible things. And Paul says, give thanks in everything. Always remember that our gratitude is rooted in the work and the person of Jesus, such that we give thanks in, 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 in horrible things, not for the thing, but because Jesus has come, has done what he did for us, and has promised that he's coming back again one day and will set all of this horror and difficulty and challenges, he'll set it all right one day. We give thanks out of that and rooted in that, and that alone, the person and work of Christ. Therefore, there is, there is nothing that we cannot give thanks in because Jesus has shown he is above and beyond all things, even the worst things in the world and will set it right one day. Does that make sense? That's where our thanks arises.